Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. periods I felt I had to be naked to save the world and this poem is a true account of one such escapade contemplation in exhibition street this crazy woman is sitting naked under a tree right on the nature strip for all to see. Little do they know she has gone to paradise. God is with her and every pore closes on his breath. Her solitary figure, the only real presence in a firmament of blocks. She is Bodhisattva, hearing and seeing only the divine, blessed from the inside by the voice of God proceeding through her hypothalamus. She's about to rest on her quiet revolution when officers of the law, to whom Dharma is a foreign word, wrap a prickly grey blanket over her perfect form. I know you think I'm mad, she says, rising from her full lotus. They squint disbelievingly, all-knowing. Come with us. She has been alone with her God. This poem's written for my son. It's called Birthday Ant.
I have climbed these words many times, an ant on the page of love. I have brought home an autumn leaf, talisman of the season, and cover for the nest. This being your birthday, I carry a grain of sugar in a blue ribbon. Thirty-four years have I laboured, and each time the year turns, the most beautiful twigs are uncovered. Twigs I drag and then arrange in a sacred sun mandala, the centre a geranium petal of devotion. I have gone from schizophrenia to Buddhism. No one has stood on me yet. At each bend of my path, I remember the madness that separated us. Now I scramble over pebbles, clear as sanity, momentous as nirvana. I have been in a cicada shell, mother in a Trojan horse, and I have come for you with a bag of crumbs, a card, a book on enlightenment, and a photograph of myself, snapped by a mimecologist. The nest is very tidy today, very festive. If you look down the hole, you will see some wax, a wick and a match. I busily make a candle for you so you can blow it out. Mother has made a home for you. This one is also to my son. It gives people, I hope, a bit of an inside story of a hallucination. It's called ESP, which of course means extrasensory perception. Watch the eye's blue breath catch on a word of love and you whispering your presence. It's ESP between you and me, or is it my usual madness that reckons you're in the room? The hallucination deepens. You're in Los Angeles, and I wonder how it's done, how you can be in this room at 4am. I have you all to myself, your mother out on a limb, The madness is pleasant this morning. No loneliness for us. The words are all mine. You communicate by sight, clearly visible as a nimbus. I know it's because I lost you all those years ago that I'm close to tears and garnished your image greedily. I will not let you go, nor do you seem to want to go. Perhaps we are always like this, too intense for pleasantries, the love so deep we could drown. This visitation for sure is rare as all the others. I strain between the years of loss, the lightning struck memory, and it is always P 
panting after you, never to lose you again. My name's Anne Carson. I had a bereavement experience when my husband got sick from gallbladder cancer and died a few years back, and that takes you into a very traumatic space, obviously, and that was compounded in my case because we'd only been together for a few years, so there was also the loss of a future together that would have been substantial. My poems are related to dealing with my own bereavement. So in integrating these feelings, I came up with a poem that's become really pivotal to me, and it's about imagining what a process, what a ritual for the ending of a bereavement process might be like. There are a couple of words that are Japanese, and so I might need to explain them. I talk about a tatami, which is a woven floor mat, and I talk about tabi, which are socks, particular cotton socks, and torihada, which are goosebumps, koshimaki, which is a piece of cloth which is wrapped around the hips. So with that little introduction, I might just read that poem... The dresser removes the kimono of mourning. I kneel on tatami tatami, and close my eyes. A gust of cool air tells me the rice paper screen has opened. Orange blossom fragrance enters with the dresser. Her feet in cotton tubby shush as she slips behind me, unties the obi. Yards of brocade fall about me. I feel small, vulnerable as a girl just presented. Arms outstretched, she holds the kimono seam at each shoulder, slides fabric over my skin, silk sibilant. Tori Hada rises. I wear only koshimaki and underrobe. Light enough now to lift from tatami, tatami. A kite loosed from its tether. The robe is folded as prescribed, sleeve over body, whole in half, half again. Wrapped in linen paper, placed in the lacquered box. I will not miss the silk, dark as midnight, though it had a touch of grandeur. The dresser's hand and arm ripple around me. 
I recall the movement in my mind's theatre, remember our rehearsals. Back and forth, her hands are tireless, eddying like wind over rice fields. She is to empty me of grief. A dark spirit emerges, long as Obi. She is a no-dancer, drawing from my ears, mouth, nostrils, the colours of sorrow. A final red arterial scarf from the belly, drawn out, dissolving in ether. She has removed the inner and outer garments of my bereavement. Unmade, I prepare to start over, alone, on tatami. This is a poem from early in my relationship with Ian. It's called The Sound of Absence. 
Air particles shift in waves through walls and space towards me. The air displaced by your car, ploughing a path through traffic. Next door, a woman's heels knock on floorboards. I feel it in my body, not noise, but vibration. The blade of absence hones me. With closed eyes, feet up, I wait. Fern frond shadows drift across my lids, a watch on a chain, taking me deeper, deeper. I turn oral. Sounds become equivalent, rich, intricately textured. The fridge's groans and shudders no less pleasing than the liquid melody of the magpie or the whistle of the wind in the elm. Underneath sound, stillness so alive it thrums. Things utter themselves into silence. It's hard not to be biblical. The listening ear, the singing world. This one's called On the Ebb Tide, Shelley Beach, Western Australia. I leave people behind, beaches ago, share the arc between the long, curved arms of the bay with oyster catchers, a couple of storm petrels. The sky is a long way off, aerial benevolence bestowing space, Calm. The landscape has me in its loose hold. I haven't forgotten sorrow. It's a relief to wear it on my sleeve, not keep it tucked in a back pocket for later. My throat opens like a gull's, grief thrown to the wind, tears into sand. The birds don't mind. Nor does the sun, which shines or not, regardless. Ahead on the sand I see a metallic shimmer. Up close, movement, life. A large, beached fish, sand caking its coat like crumbs. Beached hard in the sand, it gasps, dreadful heaves, body long. I imagine it's ailing is perhaps old when the great impartial hand of water hurls it at the shore. Minutes I gaze into its bright, wide-open eye, not knowing if I'm looking at wisdom or vacancy, but knowing that life looks back. I am not long from your struggle to the death, accompanying you to the threshold and having to let you go 
has calibrated me to dying. Nights listening to your gasp, learning to let the ebb tide reverse a lifetime's bond with healing. Now I don't know if the fish is trying to live or trying to die. Perhaps I bring death here from your sickbed, impose my slant on the scene. Maybe the fish is not ailing, just took a wrong turn at the rocks, a ghastly misjudgment, sucked into a vortex of turbulence that left it stranded. Do fish have moments of inattention like me? Will it die in my presence? Large pauses open between each juddering, desperate breath. I must at least try to save it. I try scooping it between two chalky cuttlefish bones, not wanting to touch slime, the possibility of poison, wanting to put it in the way of waves, a chance to swim away. The fish eye's iris flares, registering touch. We have the rudiments of communication, but I can't distinguish flinch from breath. The wobble of the body stops me before I even lift it from its bed in the sand. There's nothing but to overcome squeamishness. I pick the slick, cold body up in two hands, walk it out past the rocks where it foundered. It lies still in my hands. A kind of trust lets me loose it into deep water. Immediately it's under the break, disappearing beyond the reach of my eyes, a shimmer of sleek silver radiance into the blue-green eminence that is ocean. psychiatric ward my doctor is fishing without bait the son is thinking about our mutual tiredness and tenderness and loves as the sun sets we are no longer afraid of long stares without another forced memory to alter our drifting heartbeats we are children without things to swap and grass without pages, and poems without patience. Today, it's ping-pong and overfeeding the pigeons in the psychiatric ward courtyard. These birds have found such peace within the slowly moving people. Wild with all our untrimmed nose hairs, 
I'm my chasing muse rather than allowing it to come to me as the wild, curious animal. My child visits me amongst the mentally ill, and I ask him to play our old favourite game, and he replies, We can't play that anymore, Daddy, because last time we blew it up in our imaginations. Sometimes the story grows itself hopelessly, like a tree root extending onto cement, no ability to find dirt, yet through holy blindness is searching. I undo my smiling shoelaces and my lost career opportunities, all adding together to be JD's one-word poem of Delighted. I don't like scientific studies of human body language that teach us to interpret the position of a person. I like to feel the body language rather than intellectualise. Think of infants in cots using fingers to draw bird flight. But now I am waking in the pill spills of a ward, feeling farther too much within me, rocking to the rhythm of a pigeon's coo, and watching another suicide at root's end. Golden Tears. I guess it's an accurate depiction of how depressed I was, being bipolar, being diagnosed when I was 18. Losing everyone around me, not being able to do anything, gaining 20 kilos of weight. So this one's Golden Tears. Golden tears rolled down her cheeks, the reason behind them lost in her mind. Rolling down and collecting speed, each tear's glistening mystique, each tear unique. The tears are an angel with a broken heart, only darkness present, love absent as it departs. Confusion confounding, kindness killed, golden tears but no blood spilled. Ideally, none should reach the floor. Eyeliner and mascara running as the golden tears pour. Happiness unavailable, happiness gone. The love which others adorn almost like it was never born. Counting tears of golden despair, 
Where is the love? Where is the care? Alone is why the tears keep falling. No one hears the name she's calling. Love me, protect me, please hear my pleas. She yells, she screams, but no one hears thee. Inattentive are those that surround. No one present, no other sound. Dying from the golden tears. Lying down, no air to breathe. Death consumes her. Golden tears deceive. Okay.